You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2 yet again. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick and Nami. This episode will cover the Obelisk Gate Book 2 of N.K. Jemisin's Hugo Award-winning Broken Earth Trilogy. If you're watching live, join us in the chat, or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. All right, real quick before we dive into our summary, please note the following trigger warnings for the obelisk gate, assault, child abuse, child death, and physical abuse. Way less than last time, so I guess it's <laughs> that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, in the obelisk gate, we pick up where we left off in the fifth season. Well, almost. First, we take a brief jaunt back to the beginning of the fifth season, immediately after Jija killed his son, his and Essen's son, Uche. We discover what happened to Nasun during the first book, how she learned to manipulate her father so he didn't kill her. And we fervently wish Nasun could have gotten some therapy because damn, she had to grow up way too quickly. And some of us know all too well what that's like. And then we jump back to where we left off with Alabaster trying to explain what a moon is. He convinces Esun, ni Sianite, ni Demaya, to summon an obelisk. And to do this, she needs to go to the surface, which means talking to Yika, the head of Kastrima, the underground calm they're living in. There's a bit of back and forth, and then everyone heads to the surface. Esun connects not only to the topaz obelisk that uh, Alabaster was talking about, but also to an onyx one. And here's where things start to get really weird, because then we get to see Shafa's perspective. You remember him? It's Essun's guardian who smiles a lot and just like kills people. Anyway, the last time we saw him, Essun was shattering the boat he was on. And apparently he survived by making a deal with the Father Earth or something. Anyway, he appears to lose most of his memories except for his name in the process. He's rescued by a sailor whose grandchild, Aitz, is an origin who begs Shafa for his protection after he realizes that Shafa is a guardian. Shafa agrees and goes to talk to his mother, but then he accidentally kills her and uh, then takes something from her, some kind of energy, and he ends up killing the whole family for their energy, but realizes he can take just a little bit of it from the origins without killing them. And he decides to essentially found a new fulcrum and sets out to with Aids to get started. Meanwhile, Jija has heard of a calm where they can cure origins. Since he hates them and wants to love his daughter, he sees this as the only solution for them. Though, let's be real, it's all about him. But on the way, they're ambushed by bandits, and Jija is harpooned. In another weird twist, it's Shafa who saves them. They go to the nearby calm, Jekity, where Shafa has set up Found Moon, a sort of makeshift fulcrum. There are two other guardians there who have been... Um, changed like Shafa, and then also some young origins that ha they have collected. There, Nasun begins to grow as an origin, and Shafa takes a special interest in her. He asks about who trained her and about her, her mother breaking her hand. Uh, it's just like what Shafa did to Esun when she was still Demaya. 
and Shafa starts to almost remember. But let's jump back to Kostrima real quick. Alabaster tells Esun where he's been for the last 10 years. Antimony, the stone eater that is always with him, the one who dragged him into the earth at the end of the first book, transported him to an island on the other side of the world, an island with dead sieve tech. Amongst other things, they made obelisks there. Here's a little recap within this recap. There's a war between Father Earth and the uh, Origins. Uh, somehow the Origins knock the moon out of orbit and piss Father Earth off. And that's maybe Father Earth's kid or something. I, it's, it's a little confusing. Anyway, now we have multiple factions all in conflict with each other. Father Earth has taken over some Guardians. The Stone Eaters have multiple factions amongst themselves, apparently. And the Origins are mostly trying to survive and not be used by as tools by, you know, basically everyone else. As for Nasen, the, the rick left between her and Jija is growing wider. His hate is horrifying, but Nasen loves him. This is impacting her studies, so Shafa insists that she leave his home and come live with them in Fout Moon. But at this point, things really start piling on. First, Nasen unconsciously connects to an obelisk, has a nightmare, and accidentally turns Eats into a stone into stone when he tries to wake her up, like, like straight up rock. Then, Shafa takes her and one of the other guardians, Umber, to the Antarctic Fulcrum, which wasn't shut down like it was supposed to be at the start of the season. They have a conversation with the local origin leaders who claim they should be able to continue, but Shafa ain't having that shit. He starts killing the leaders and says Nasen outside. Yep, in that order. She almost immediately runs into a girl who tries to talk to her about the Fulcrum, and Nasen realizes that Essen tried to teach her using the same tactics because that was how she was thought, taught. She decides this is wrong and um, turns everyone in the fulcrum to stone? <laughs> because of what she's done, Father Earth, via Umber, clearly wants to kill her. She's too powerful. But Shafa says no, even though Father Earth is also trying to make him kill Nasen. It's clearly hurting him to resist, but he does. On the way back to Foul Moon, Nasen meets a stone eater, who she names Steel, and he shows her that she can remove Shafa's power. This would prevent Father Earth from hurting him, but Shafa doesn't want her to do it because he needs his strength and power to protect her. And also, he doesn't want to die. By the way, Shafa's like, I'm old and his power is keeping him alive. So Nasen is talked out of this, but she is not in a great place. And even though this clearly isn't the best of the times, she goes to visit Jija. She realizes that he will only love, in quotes, her if she gives up and uh, if she gives up who she really is, which of course means that he doesn't really love her. He wants her to pretend to be normal, which is all too, which is an all too familiar and painful metaphor. He hits her for implying he ever loved or cared for Isen or Uche and for saying she doesn't want to stop being an origin. Nasen makes a decision. She ices the entire house, but only the house. She and Jija are safe, but he is terrified because he understands that Nasen could have easily killed him if she wanted to. Not to be outdone by whatever all of that was. There's quite a bit going on in Kostrima too. Tonki has been shirking her duties and apparently has found the control room for Kostrima and locked herself in. She's figuring out how the comm works and what all the dead Civ tech does. It helps that she's visited other dead Civ ruins and knows more than most people about what symbols mean and how things work. This would be incredibly useful. But she hasn't talked to anybody about any of this and broke the rules to get access. So Yika tells her she is banned from the control room. Taki is horrified and tries to run off with a piece of dead civ tech. 
which instantaneously begins burrowing into her skin and heading for her sesame. Eason tries to remove the thing, but accidentally cuts off Taki's arm in the process. <laughs> Thankfully, Taki survives and starts helping out with the calm. In an interlude, we also learn what Hoa has been up to. Apparently, he is old. Very old. And he's been killing other stone eaters who aren't on his side or who are trying to harm Essun. <laughs> Over the next six months, a trading party travels to a nearby calm called Tedehi, but no one comes back. Alabaster keeps teaching Essen, who also works with some of the more skilled origin to train all of the origin in Kastrima. A group of hunters are attacked by these awful things called boil bugs that straight up burrow into people's skin and boil them alive. The Kastrimans learn about an equatorial comm called Renaris that has formed an army and is coming for them. A comm meeting is held, but is interrupted by a stone eater carrying Hoa's arm. The stone eater, who Essen dubs the Gray Man, tells everyone that they are welcome to join Renanas. Well, not everyone, because the origins aren't invited. Oh, and anyone who doesn't join will die. Essen cuts off his hand in response, but it acts on its own and returns to the Stone Eater. Her threats do seem to make him leave, though, so that's something, I guess. She can see the silver strands that connect everything flowing from Hoa's arm to her room, so she takes it there. The rest of Hoa is there, and Essen helps him reform his body, his original body, not the one he's been wearing to make Essen feel motherly towards him creepy. And Essen recognizes him because he's the stone eater from the Garnet Obelisk in Aaliyah. The vote in Kastrima is coming up, but things keep going wrong. Cutter, one of the other origin who helped uh, Essen with the training, ices a man for attacking him or threatening to attack him. It's kind of one person's word against the other, so a mob forms and Ika has to kill Cutter to get him uh, to get the mob to stand down. Then one of the origin kids gets attacked and Essen loses it. Uh, she turns the attacker to stone and pushes back when Alabaster tries to stop her from the infirmary, but she's too strong now and overpowers him, which accidentally kills him. And then it's finally time for the vote, but Essen refuses to let them go through with it and tells everyone that they better just fall in line or else. Uh, she goes topside to tell Renaris off, and they admit that they need Kastrima stores and we're never going to let anyone live. Essen is distracted long enough for a guardian to attack her with a glass knife, but Hoa saves her by pulling her into, a, into the ground. The army invades Kastrima, but while they're as prepared as they can be, it's clear they're probably going to be overwhelmed. Essen and Ika link their powers together, similar to how Alabaster linked with her in the fifth season, but more natural. And the network of their powers allows Essen to see and understand so much more and to control things. They push boil bugs at the Renaris army, causing chaos and very disgusting death. But then the Stone Eaters arrive. They are killing Origins, but once again, Hoa protects Essen. He brings her to the surface so that she can connect to the Onyx Obelisk, and that's when she realizes that she can create a network of obelisks. She uses this power to trap the Stone Eaters inside geodes the way Hoa was trapped inside the Garnet. Unfortunately, the Gray Man isn't there, but she takes care of the others and then uses the power to ice the entire Renat. Radaris calm. Unfortunately, just like what was happening to Alabaster, these actions turn her arm to stone. Just before she passes out from her effort, she sees Hoa and Antimony. I don't know how to pronounce that. I always thought it was Antimony. And a new stone eater, Alabaster. What the what? Hoa takes her back into the calm, and while Kastrima is messed up, Hoa tells Lerna that Renaris Renan is simply uh, is now empty and can be used by the calm. But Essen now knows where Nassen is, and Hoa knows that as soon as she's recovered, she'll insist on going to find her daughter. 
Finally, we meet back up with Nassen. The stone eater who she calls Seal, Steel, but who we also know as Essen's gray man, has returned and talks about Essen opening the obelisk gate. He doesn't use her name, but Nassen knows that it was her mother. In the midst of this conversation, who shows up but Jija, intent on killing his daughter once and for all. It's fucking heartbreaking when she... Uh, when Nassen says she wishes that he could just love her as she is, but she realizes there's no way to end his hate. She summons the Sapphire Obelisk and turns it into a sword. As he attacks, uh, she turns Jija to, so to stone and he shatters, but not before he manages to stab her. Steel tells Nassen that the only way to end the wrongness of the world and all of the hate is to bring the moon back into orbit. She understands that doing so will likely destroy everyone and everything but she agrees to help him anyway. I guess um, I'll start out by saying like, I, I still like really enjoyed this book, but I thought it, the, the, the start of it, like really almost like the first like two thirds were kind of slow. Um, like it was still a quick read, but it felt a little bit like some of the temporary books where it's like, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then bam, all of the things happening all at once in the last, like I said, about third or so of the book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of agree with that to a certain extent. Like it felt slower than the first book for sure, because like, you know, a big part of it is like recapping essentially Nassim's experience during the first book. So it sort of feels like you're stagnating or not going anywhere because like you're technically rehearing parts of things that have already happened except from Nawson's POV and yeah so I get why it was slower I also but I don't think it was ever as slow as any of the Temeraire books because I still <laughs> flew through this like uh again we're what like a month and a half out for me reading this now but I still like literally devoured it in like three days so yeah I like it was slower than the rest of the series, but the series is so epically, like absurdly fast, but it didn't feel slow, objectively. Maybe slow isn't even the right word so much as it just felt kind of bottom heavy. You know what I mean? Like so much happening in the last, like, you know, third, I keep saying third, I think it was a little bit more than that maybe, but it definitely wasn't even half. I don't know, what do you think, Nick? I, I think it's also a different experience when you're listening to the audiobooks. Um, I feel a lot more immersed in it during that. And especially mm -hmm. with the sort of narrator POV, um, I really liked it. I really liked learning about what was going on for these other characters during that first book. Cause you know, we, we don't get that perspective at all. We know that Nasun is out there somewhere with Jija, but we don't have any idea what's happening, why he took her, what's going on, any of that stuff. And the other part of it was like, okay, thank you again for the trigger warnings because they're super important. And there were parts that were really hard, but it was such a well-written representation of what that situation is like that I, I definitely, it's hard to say that it's beautiful or anything like that because obviously what's happening is terrible, uh, particularly with the child abuse. But I think there's something really uh, powerful about seeing the perspective and seeing it done really well. And as a person who grew up in a home with emotional abuse, I definitely identified a lot with that and, and felt myself engrossed in that narrative as a result. 
So I don't think it ever felt slow for me. I felt like it was a combination of the difference in it being an audiobook, um, kind of the way that I felt myself being drawn into it. And then also part twos in a trilogy are always gonna be a little bit different in terms of structure than the first or the third part, right? Because it has to build on the world of the first part so you understand that world a little bit more and it then also has to set up the third part, but it can't resolve too much because you still have to have the third part. Yeah. I I think the other thing about this book is that it makes you sad in a very different way. Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mood. the whole series makes you sad <laughs> in very different ways. Great job, N.K. Jemison. My heart is love it but so like this book makes you sad in a very different way because this whole story up until now has been about Eason growing up and learning to cope with this world but for Nasan, like she hasn't grown yet the this story while it is you know short it covers two whole years of her trying to survive with somebody who should be her protector but who has completely turned against her and it is like as Nick says, it's horrifying, but it is also so well written that you can see into her psyche. Like, just, it's so incredibly compellingly done and well written. And it made me heartbroken, but I really loved it. Just every single moment when Nostin has to stop and she can't just be a kid and she has to calculate how she's going to respond to her father and what affection she's going to give him in order to lessen his violence towards her it is heartbreaking and like terrifying to see that a child has to be that analytical in order to survive but it also like it puts you into you know like the shoes of somebody facing that abuse in a way that somebody who hasn't thankfully i am lucky to say that i have i had a great time as a kid um, but it really puts you into the shoes of somebody who does experience that. And, you know, they say it, it, it's always said that like when somebody experiences abuse at a young age, it makes you grow up faster and you can see Nasen growing up in front of your eyes here. And it is heartbreaking to watch. And really yeah, a, a lot of quite often I found myself forgetting how young she actually was. And then every once in a great while, uh, you know, they, they they would mention her age, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, she's only 10 because it seems, you know, not way, way older. But I'm, you know, I, I got into this mindset that maybe she's like, you know, 13, 14, 15. And no, she's not. She's still just like 10. <laughs> I want to uh, maybe 12 by the end. But even that is like possibly pushing it. And like. I think the biggest thing is that like, you know, you see her like forced adultness and how she is like forced to be analytic in these situations. But then you also see how she is really a child and how she just wants like somebody to be able to attach onto like she does with Shafa. And thankfully Shafa's not a piece of shit to her like like he was with Essen because um, good for memory loss, I guess. Uh, not sure how I feel about this, but when I told you, yeah. That, yeah, but when I told you that you'd actually have a surprise character, you'd start to care about this book. I meant Shafa because bitch was alive and now he's adopted Nasan and he's being much better about it than Jaja. So I guess I'm kind of not against him, but like, 
So like you see the way that Nasen is like so easily influenced in her ideas and her worldview and all of that because like this book more than it being Essen's journey because Essen is pretty stationary and just like learning in this story. This book is way more about Nasen and her journey and how she is forced to grow up and forced to realize that the world is cruel and then realize that there is a way that she could fix this but realize that she doesn't want to because she doesn't think the world deserves it and that is <laughs> yeah that whole journey is just so mind-blowingly well done it's so good and it's so bad like it's so bad that she comes to those conclusions but it is mm -hmm. so well done and it breaks your heart and i just just want to take Nasa and squish a little cheek to keep her safe and teach her how to earthbend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, 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 uh, I agree. Like this, this book is definitely more about her journey than Essence. I mean, you can see that just in the fact that, um, you know, a lot of what's going on in Kastrima is just truncated you know it's summarized into you know that like six months are passing and this is what happened briefly bit by bit you know um so i think that i do think that this is definitely more about exploring what is going on i mean it, i mean even i think one of the things i had noted in um you know in our document was like just alabaster, the training is just, it just kind of hap, like, like she just kind of has, like she sp spends all this time training with him, we're told months and months, but it seems like his training, like we only get bits and pieces of it and it barely even seeds the epiphanies that she kind of has on her own. And then he just dies sort of anticlimactically. Um, you know, I, I, she mistakenly kills him. He dies off page. So it's like the fact that we've got this, these, this major thing that's supposedly going on, like alabaster training of her should be so important, but it's hardly even mentioned more than in passing. Um, it, it, yeah. And, and again, like he is this all important character from book one dies off page it is just kind of cements the fact that we're not, whatever's going on in Kostrima isn't really that important compared to mm -hmm. what we are learning from, you know, about Nassan, about, and about Shafa, I think, especially whether it's through his, his one little kind of chapter or through Nassan's point of view as she experiences, you know, as she experiences this new Shafa. And yeah, I'll, I agree, Nami. It was like, I'm not like, I'm not supposed to feel bad for this guy or like, like him. He was horrible in the first book, but like he was basically being mind controlled. Right. Yeah. So, I, I don't really know how to feel or what to think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But actually this is funny. I, it sounds like this is going to be the Nami and Tara disagree episode because <laughs> I'm, because I thought that Alabaster's like off screen death by her hands was actually like, a complete shock and upset from what I thought was going to happen. Cause like the whole book he's turning into stone and like Antimony's eating him. So like you expect he's going to die. You expect he's going to like, you're like, this man's dying. 
Eason's gonna see it, and then she's gonna watch a stone eater eat her buddy. But then instead, Eason kills him, and I'm like, oh, jeez. And it's just like, like the level. It wasn't like, that it wasn't surprising. Let me be clear. It was just more that I felt like it was. He he just dies, and she goes and finds him, sort of as is. That was that seemed kind of anticlimactic to me. Not not surprising, just anticlimactic. I don't know. To that, I kind of found it like I found it like the opposite of anticlimactic. I thought it was like. I thought it was like the upset of what would have been an anticlimactic death, which would have been him just turning into stone and dying like naturally. And like the fact that she accidentally ends up killing him was like, oh shit, oh shit. Also, it kind of brings to mind the whole George R. R. Martin thing. Like if they die off page, are they really dead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because in the end, as we find out, he's not really dead. Well, he isn't a person, and I think like he the is transmuted. Yeah, but is he a person? Because Hoa has a whole thing about whether or not stone eaters are humans. So, just saying, a human does not mean a does not mean a person in this case. Ooh. In this specific case, I'm using the word person to refer to as people and or beings with human like abilities of braining. So, by this standards mind controlling ground is also possibly a person unclear (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like like it's like it's definitely like he is not human anymore but he is like still there and like i thought that reveal at the end was like i thought that was the climactic like gut punch ending that like alabaster that i like you know like this was not like being like alabaster is unimportant this was being like alabaster is the first dude to just straight up become a stone eater like Look at him go. Based on the series. Based on the series. Based off of our knowledge, this is the first time this has happened. And like, holy shit. Well, I think that that's how all Stone Eaters become into existence. I'm not going to theorize because I did not have time to theorize because I put this book down and I immediately put the third audiobook on and I was like, tell me the (laughs) answers. And I'm actually kind of in between y'all because I wish that there had been a little bit more in the struggle where, you know, she's, as soon as, um, you know, exerting this will and, um, you know, ultimately killing this person and Alabaster tries to use his powers to stop her and she overpowers him. And there's, it's, for me, it like, it's skipped over that with like one or two lines and maybe again, it was maybe it was like the audiobook version. No, it was really quick. But it was really quick. And I would have loved, even if it was just like another one or two lines, to talk about that struggle and her just like forcing through him and then not realizing that that is what I mean, she does realize that that's what killed him. But, you know, tie, tie, that little tie of a piece to say, you remember how the rest of this book we've been talking about how every time he exerts himself, he turns a little bit more into stone. The fact that she not only forced herself past him, but like did it in a very destructive way. I don't know. I wish there was just like one little moment there that showed that. I get, I get that desire a lot. Cause like that was definitely missing to me though the lack of struggle just emphasized further how absolutely weak that's a good point was and like i understand wanting that struggle but i think the whole point of the lack of it was that he could not like she was just so beyond 
where his yeah. current power level was. Like she is a ten ringer now. Like he turning into stone, losing himself, like not having the ability to do anything. He's what like a torso and and ahead at this point. Like he does not have <laughs> the ability to stop her. And even like well, the way I read it was that like even that small exertion of him trying to stop her started turning him to stone more and then she pushed past him and like accelerated it that's how i kind of interpreted it so and so like the lack of struggle was like she so was she, just so overwhelming she specifically has a line um in there if i recall correctly that she says it's not that he has gotten weaker he's still as strong as alabaster always has been even as the stone is taking him over he's still incredibly powerful and at the same power level. It's that she's now surpassed him mm. and is more right. powerful than he is. Yeah. Okay. He can't stop her because yeah. he is, she is so deliberate in this is going to happen, even though she doesn't really understand what it is that she's doing in that moment. Okay, that's a good point. I had forgotten that. So uh Nasan's what like or sorry, Easton's what like eleven rings, twelve rings, not enough Who knows? too many rings. Who knows? Because there were other parts where they talked about how, you know, at at that point in the books, and I don't even remember when in the books it happened, but I remember them saying that like Alabaster is probably more than a ten ringer, but they don't have anything beyond yeah. a ten ringer. Yeah. So he's just a ten ringer. So now whatever he was at, <laughs> as soon has surpassed. Uh, uh, okay. And okay. Presumably Nasun is also somewhere in that same range because she's exerting powers equal to, or perhaps even greater than her mother. So it's- I would, up in I would say that she, you can't even count what she's doing as like rings because it's so yeah. different from what they ever would have taught her in the fulcrum. It's like, if they're not wearing rings, maybe she's wearing like, bracelets i don't know getting tattoos <laughs> <laughs> it's something it's something where she is like very she's very clearly like super powerful and on top of that like it, it, i mean it seems very clear that she has you know that that essen had uh so much natural talent when she you know was so young and untrained and nasen has more yeah like yeah. at her age she was and i think you know I, i'm pretty sure i want to say they they say like essen makes like some comments about it, you know, where she, I hope I'm not, because I did start reading the third book. So this might be from the very beginning of that, but there's definitely some thoughts in Essence head where she knew how powerful her daughter was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that as well. well. And she knew that even earlier on in the series, Yeah, she knew that Nasun had more potential than she did. And she knew that Uche had even more potential than Nasun did. Yeah. Which and is I, crazy because they both came from the same bloodline. So yeah. like, and, and, and I think this implies that, that both that Nasan and therefore Uche also had more power than Koru had. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's very, it's like, how I wouldn't know that, that I happened. I, I wouldn't know that I necessarily agree with the had more power than Koru just because we never, like actually sure. she doesn't speak about them in the same space yeah. in the same terms in terms of like their mm -hmm. powers and i think that that's a parallel that we can't draw based off of the information that she gives us mostly because 
like we really don't have a baseline of how powerful Koro is, except it was like he's really fucking powerful and he will be one day. That's it. Yeah. But like you only see him at two years old, and even Uche become is like six, right? So no, 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 no. He three. was yeah, he was three. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was ba- he was a baby. He's like he's like still older though than Koru, and. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure we can make that assumption. But yeah, Uche is definitely the strongest. Uh, we don't know that Koru would not have been that strong, or at least as strong as Nasun, but like. But Uche, like, oh my gosh, even just the little note that Nasun has about realizing that even at like two or three years old, Uche was understanding the obelisks. Mm-hmm. Like, that was so cool. And uh, the other thing, the thing that made me clap earlier was I loved when um, Esun and Ike were connecting and she acknowledges that like her whole perspective on Ika was like completely wrong because she has all this power and understanding. It's just not shaped by the fulcrum. And Esun has that moment of realizing like, wait, I can't, there's like a little lovely like, overcoming your classist assumptions kind of thing in there yeah. about like, oh, maybe just because she's not book smart doesn't mean that she doesn't know what the fuck's up. Yeah. I, I mean, think- yeah, the the whole thing with them, you know, joining their their power together, mm-hmm. like, and how Ika had this best beautiful understanding of what it was and how to do it and was better at it than Alabaster was, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they were able to work together versus like just taking like just over one overpowering the other forcefully. It, it, it was, it was really, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is like, it was just be, Ika wasn't fulcrum trained. That doesn't mean she was, she had no training. She just didn't mm-hmm. have the, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, let's, I, I maybe, maybe like a modern day, uh, why training? I was going to say like a modern day, it's not exactly as an, but it would be like somebody going to, you know, like going to university, uh, and getting like a master's versus somebody getting like crazy difficult certifications and like welding and shit. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you're learning different stuff, uh, or you're learning, you're learning life skills in different ways. And that doesn't mean necessarily that one thing is better than the other. They're useful in different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And both are, both are apparently necessary. Who would have thought? Yeah. I, I really liked how like, you know, Essen's like moment of like, aha came from like, literally from like watching Yika and how like, it was that moment when she realized that she could still learn from other people that she didn't think were better than her mm-hmm. was the moment where she was able to learn what she, it was the moment where she was able to figure out what she needed to figure out. And I was just like, yes, we can always learn from other people. Just like lo- loving that message in there. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I, this also sort of brings me back to like the other like system of power that we're introduced to. So like we're introduced to like, like, life magic essentially was how I was thinking about it or like like just like the silver energy of life and like how Nasen can just like instinctively reach it and use it but how like Eason needs to like actively train herself to see it because it's been trained out of her by the fulcrum because the fulcrum doesn't want you to do that or something I don't know man it's just like (laughs) 
I, uh, one of the things I saw online was like somebody comparing the idea of this magic and the way it's described in this book as being like the midichlorian thing from Star Wars. Uh, and, but like they're trying to find like a scientific explanation for this magic, despite the fact that they use the term magic that, you know, that we think of as, you know, it's not a scientific thing. Um, and and they're they're asking like, does this make this series more sci-fi, or are we just because they're using the term magic going to keep going to say it's fantasy? Um, also, I, I did like I did like the idea or the the the, the comparison to like the midichlorian thing, like love or hate the the midichlorian stuff that came out with the prequels. I unfortunately, in my mind, it is Star Wars canon, um, and I did think it was kind of probably the best like. Uh, comparison to to like a major you know property that we all know because it, it, it calling it magic did seem odd because it's flowing through people's bodies I guess and it's like a physical so I think the thing that okay so two things one I think this series has always been kind of sci-fi yep. um yeah I agree because of the like lost civ technology and whenever you have like mysterious civilization that died off and now we're doing a thing it's always you know a little bit of like sci-fi it's always a bit of like um it's called like climate sci like climate change sci-fi so cli-fi is what i it called so it's always like had the sci-fi vibes already there and mm -hmm. then you know if anything to me this sort of stabilized like or orogeny as like the sciencier one versus the magic which was the esoteric thing that you don't understand that's just life force you know and like you know, like why, like, cause like it, when you think about it in terms of fulcrum training, whenever they've talked about orogeny, whenever they've talked about origins and their powers, it's always been like very structured, very scientific, very like rock. Ha ha. I'm hilarious. Um, but like, it's always been like very, very like solid and structured. And then you come to this magic stuff and it's like, and it's, it's, it felt a lot more like woo woo esoteric. And, you know, so if anything, I think the magic is pulling it back more into fantasy because even though, like, even without calling it, like, magic, it's like the silver energy. Like, it feels like chakra or chi or something, like, like, natural like that. And it doesn't, it also, like, I under, like, the midichlorians is the best, like, fantasy parallel, but it also, like, doesn't quite fit that way either because it's not like certain people have more or less midichlorians like or more or less magic like all living things have that magic and like it's just like other people can harness the magic and make it do things and not everybody can do that but the, the magic itself is like the magic of the force of life so like the way that i read it was like made, like they called it magic but in my mind i was reading it as that mysterious thing that makes living things living like yep i agree and to me like orogeny was trying to create a science to contain that concept so to me it's almost the reverse like the magic is still magic like no one understands it it's just all these things that are connected and you can kind of try to influence it and work with it but it's not there are no strict rules or anything like that. And um, and it's orogeny, and particularly the ways that the fulcrum trained orogeny, 
that are like trying to stamp some kind of science onto that for, well, this is how this works, but it's not how it works. You can't fully explain how magic works. You, it, there's a part of it that just is. So that's how I kind of saw it. Well, and I mean, they also mentioned that there were, I, I it was um, Nita, is that her name? One of the two other guardians mm -hmm. at the, um, at Found Moon. Like, I, I believe it's her that mentions that some, you know, some children that came to them had these additional like skills and powers. Mm -hmm. And like most of the time they, yeah, they, they tried to kind of learn it out of the kids. But like if somebody was really had that talent and they thought that they could shape them, they would let them go on, you know, in that manner. Um, it, it, the way she talks about it is very like, she's kind of, uh, she's very spotty in what she's saying. Cause as we know, mm -hmm. she's kind of lost half of her mind, but she, she makes it very clear that some people have like Nassen more of this connection to the magic necessarily than they do to what we know as like the basic er erogeny and like, yeah. And, and, and when they thought it could do some good or when they thought they could do something with it, they did encourage it to a certain point. Now I, I had, I got the feeling that that certain point it off, they often met a point and then those kids probably disappeared but yeah, I very much read that as a they would encourage the ability until the children child lost control and then they would become the perfect node maintainer. Yeah. Or or I mean, you know, I, Alabaster clearly had some of this ability and he hit it. But it well was enough. like, you know, perfect control. So it was like they would they would like, you know, encourage this ability to a certain point, but if they couldn't control it or if they couldn't science it out of you, or if they attempted to science it out of you, and then you couldn't also control it, it's to the node, babe. Wow, I hated that. <laughs> I that. that was terrible. Can we just <sighs> on that? Hate that. You know, yeah. sometimes your jokes pay off, Nami, and sometimes they just don't. You know, I think in order <laughs> to fully appreciate my uh, comedic value, we do need a joke like that every now and then that you just do. holds so flat that everybody's like, ooh. But that just makes the ones that land that much better. Oh, <laughs> please. I'm doing the funny best. <laughs> um, so uh, another thing, and this is a little bit dark, but we're, you know, we are talking, we've kind of been talking a little bit about the people, the, the, the origins who have this, the, the powers that Nathan ha clearly has or has been able to foster or whatever. Um, so she turns eights, eights, whatever, into stone, uh, mistakenly. And, mm -hmm. you know, she freaks out. Like, he, she's having a horrible nightmare, and she does it automatically, like, in her sleep or as she's waking up. Um, and, and she's freaked out about this, obviously. And, 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 and some of that, a lot of that, maybe all of it, is because he's her friend. You know, like, mm -hmm. like he's a good person. And also I, she has a little bit of a crush on him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was very like, almost like, like a little, like a little girl has a crush on their older brother's best friend sort of mm -hmm. thing, it but very wee bab energy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, but then like very soon after that, Shafa takes her to the Antarctic fulcrum and she turns like everybody that's everybody that Shafa and the other guardians don't kill, she turns to stone and is just like she does it on purpose. Um, which like it fits with the theme of like showing how someone can connect with like a person or people, but also like dehumanize like others. Um, but it's still really like that this this child goes, you know, what she does to her father, that was self-preservation, pure and mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's and 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 she's upset about that too. Even though, she, even though it was self, even though it was self-preservation, she didn't want to do it, and she was upset about it afterward. And in you know, and again, she was upset about ites. And it's like, is it just because she knew and cared about these people, or like, is there something like, like, is there something deeper there? Because I feel like these are just kids, you know. Like, I think this was like an important turning point and an important thing that she did for a few reasons. So one, you know, her killing Jija out of self-preservation and still feeling sad about it was a lot of, you know, you can love somebody who does evil things and still feel sad if they're not there. Yeah. And, you know, all of that. And like her accidentally killing a friend, like, of course she would identify with that. But, you know, the moment at Found Moon when she decides to kill all these people it's one of her more childish moments in truth it is because you know what essentially happens there is she listens to shafa and this other guardian basically like kill these people there and be like they're not following the rules they're not being good and she goes outside and she hears this girl talk about how the fulcrum has trained her and she's like this is bad all of this is bad it should not exist. And that's why she ends it. And so. not just that, because it also triggers her, right? Like one of the things that happens in that moment is she realizes that what her mother did to her, which she has always seen as her mother abusing her, was done to her mother. That's how she learned it. That's why she did what she did to Nasun. And cycle of abuse. That like this whole system is wrong to use her words. She said, they, this was wrong. And those of us who have experienced trauma and have experienced a trigger that really like puts you back into that space. Like it, it literally takes you to the amygdala. It takes you to your most like primal fight or flight instincts for her my read of this was 100% her fight instinct got kicked in and she just tore that shit down. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because like, I tend to react to like to traumatic things more like Essen did in like the first like half of the season where I just disassociate. That's me too. But I know that some people have a massive reaction. Yeah, it was like really, you know, interesting to see like the trauma response of mother and daughter and how different yes. it is. But, you know, like her drawing very black and white conclusions about the world and about this is not good. And therefore, 
every person that participates in it is not good and needs to die was very much like that trauma response, that instinct, that like return to like her mother breaking her hand. And mm -hmm. I think the thing that, you know, we as readers can obviously see is like, well, these people are also like all the origins are like prisoners of the guardians. Like they went through what she did. They're very much victims of the system as well. But to her, they're compliant in the system that made her mother, in the system that made her, and therefore their compliance is evil. And that very black and white conclusion is like that very reason I'm saying that you see Nossen's childishness emerge. You mm -hmm. do see her childlike reasoning and her inability to see the nuance. You know, when you're a kid, if you see, you know, everybody in this group participating, whether you know it's voluntary or not, like, it's like, they're all a part of this. They did something evil. They, every person is evil, you know, and like her very immediate reaction. And as readers, we're like, oh my God, baby girl, no. But like to her, she is baby. Like, like the world is black and white. And, yeah. you know, despite all of her maturity in surviving her father up until this point and her ability to see nuance and behave in a nuanced way to stay alive, like, you do see that she is still mostly a child in every way. And that was, like, one of the saddest and most compelling things. Jesus, everything that happens in this book is, quote, by Dobby, the saddest and most compelling thing. But, it is. It like, is. It was just so well done, and it made me so sad. And, you know, one of the things that it, it, there's this thread that goes, I mean, it goes throughout the book for Nasu, but like, since we're talking about this specific moment, that goes from this to her meeting Steel and learning that she can remove the silver from uh, Shafa and wanting to help him partially because he's hurt, but also because she wants to remove the wrongness from him. And when he declines, she says, like, in her internal monologue, she's like, I need to distance myself physically from him right now. And that's what takes her back to Jija, which then ultimately leads to the conflict at the end of the book, uh, where Jija tries to kill her and she ultimately kills him, which then leads to the third book because that's where she feels like, well, there's no good left in the world. Because she can't, she's st Shafa is still her Shafa, but, and she knows that he'll love her no matter what, but there will always be hurt. There will always be this like childlike, to, to your point, Nami, this childlike black and white thinking of like, there will always be pain unless I end all pain. Well, right. And I mean, that, that you, like you're saying, like, like how she feels about Shafa and how good he is to her. She knows he is in physical pain yeah. and that, he like she wants to end it she can end it but he doesn't want her to because then he can't protect her and then he also will you know die probably very soon because he'll start eight i i, I the, the the just that i got he's kind of vague about it but the just that i got was like if he if that that piece is removed he will like he's already very old so he'll age very quickly and not live very long and also yeah. he even without the aging he wouldn't have the powers to protect her anyway so it's like she sees like that shafa is in pain and she wants to remove that pain but she also can't because then she loses him anyway way faster than she would otherwise so it's mm -hmm. yeah it's all uh, uh mk jemison man 
And I, the, the crazy thing so is, there's so many like, other series, and I'm like, now I need. I think I need to read like everything else. Yeah, <laughs> I, I literally have. Um, God, I have. Um, like her. I think it's the Ten Thousand Kingdoms series. I have the first book on loan from the library, and I just haven't been able to pick it up yet because I'm like, is this going to emotionally destroy me? It's probably going to probably me, right. Like, <laughs> like, I'm ready to cry. Let's let's go. <laughs> Absolutely yes. Um, and I, one thing, oh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, real quick before I forget about it is, and I, I'm sad that Jonathan isn't with us this evening. Um, he had some family stuff he had to deal with, but like, we know that he didn't really love the second person stuff in mm -hmm. book one, but he did say that he had been enjoying this book quite a bit. Um, and one of the quotes I had, you know, noted was from Hoa. Uh, from one of his little interlude chapters that says, or maybe it might be like he kind of, it's like shoved in the beginning in Essen chapter. I can't quite remember, but it says, he says, I want to keep telling you that, or I want to keep telling this as I have in your mind, in your voice, telling you what to think and know. Do you find this rude? It is, I admit, selfish. When I speak just as myself, it's difficult to feel like part of you. It's lonelier. And like, I feel like that was just such a, like, that was how I felt in the first book, mm -hmm. really, with the with the second person. But I think that if you don't love second person narrative, which again I totally understand, if you're not a person who loves that, I think like seeing that bit just makes it kind of like, even if you don't love it, you just yeah. kind of got to get it a little bit yeah. more. You're like, I think hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> the whole setup that is revealed in this book of like Hoa essentially being the narrator and like telling the story as you yes. and then being like, I'll go visit your daughter because you care about her. I have to talk about Shafa because you care about him. And mm -hmm. all of like, just like the nuance from that and how like Hoa's narrative voice becomes another character in this, yep. which was something I really wasn't expecting and which was so cool. Cause yeah. like, I've never seen the, you voice and I voice and third person voice used in multiple perspectives like this right. to have it convey somebody telling somebody else's story within a story. And it was just, it was so cool. It's so neat. I just yes, love it. Storytelling and like this might exist in other books, but I've read a lot of fucking books, especially sci-fi and fantasy. And I've never, this seems like she's almost created a new storytelling mechanism and a new genre, like all in her own. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's probably why these books, all three of them, won back to back Hugo Awards. Yeah, so I want to try, fucking I try to write something like, not like this, obviously. I don't think I could write this much trauma and be able to exist with myself <laughs> with brain powers but i want to like try to write something like with this narrative style of like the i you and the like the i perspective being like the overarching narrator and the you being the protagonist but like it's the narrator telling the story of the protagonist they're also in as a third party just just oh my god all of it it's just so timey wimey wibbly wobbly and i love it and my doctor who is showing but i have to put it out and yet it's and yet as much as it is all of that it's also woven together pretty mm -hmm. masterfully i mean that's the piece that does it for me like yeah. the, the weaving it together any i think anybody could write conceptually could write the 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 format that we're talking mm -hmm. about yeah. right but like the way that she weaves everything together and the way that it feels like there's 
all these through lines that are just so well thought out and pieced together and the authenticity of uh, the way she writes trauma and like, it's, it, it's just like, it's fucking chef's yeah, It's And hey, I got some news for you. The narration format, it comes back and it shines even more in book three. It's I'm like- I'm so excited. Chef's kiss. I, I've had, my, my work-life balance has been off <laughs> for a while now. Uh, and so I like literally finished the book today and wrote the summary like as fast as I could so that we could have it as as, as early on in the day as possible. Full disclosure, uh, I which, will, oops, sorry. By the way, like I kept, I kept typing you and then having to go back and like write as soon and write like <laughs> she, her instead because I was in that mindset because I had been like, I literally was like just listening to this thing. But it, yeah, I'm so excited to start the third book. I can't wait. Um, full disclosure, I am probably going to re-listen to this book really fast within the next week and write a summary of it just because like I, God, book three, y'all thought shit was wild. Just you wait. Just you wait. <laughs> just you wait. wait. <laughs> <laughs> picked up on that because that was exactly what I wanted to do, but I also don't have like the the voice energy to sing. But like, I understand. One of the one of the things that I and I I want to point this out because I don't agree with it. Um, but I I saw a quote from somebody on Goodreads that was saying like I'm at the point in these books where like I assume everyone's a sociopath to some degree, with like maybe the exception of Inon, and like I was like, um, I mean. It's like, excuse me, how dare you come in and tell people who have been damaged by trauma that they are sociopaths. Like the people inflicting the trauma are the sociopaths. Yeah. These are damaged people. Like shut the fuck up. Dude. And as we see with Shafa, like you, like honestly, you would have assumed that yeah. he was like that way, but then you find out that he's like basically being mind controlled. Then it's like, and, and, and now it's like, he's fighting against that, that, that control like regaining power and it's like so there is a person under there that is caring and you know like like and and so many things um that doesn't make anything that he did right or whatever but also like this isn't the real world where you know i, I will also I, I mean i guess i don't I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like reminded of like something like the clock like Clockwork Orange, you know, where they they basically oh, yeah, like, mm. yeah, yeah, like I, if you're I listening, know. I just like open my eyes. With my yeah, <laughs> oh god, I hate Clockwork Orange so much. Ugh. Um, but uh, yeah, it 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 it's it was very eye opening to see, you know. I, I think out of out of any of this, the one that worries me the most is Hoa, because like he like found his, this attachment. He 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 created this attachment to Essen for himself because she paid attention to him. I guess is is the best way to like she was kind to him. Like she asked him if he was okay or something like that mm -hmm. when he was stuck in yep. the uh, Garnet Obelisk and and. Like, and now he's using, like, he admits over and over again that he's using her and, like, like he loves her, but also, like, he 
he tricked her, you know, into, into by, by, he tricked her into this motherly affection for him. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so he's the one that I like, it's like, I, I, he's the one I worry about the most in terms of, but he's also a stone eater. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, like Hoa has sociopathic tendencies, but Hoa aside, like sociopath, you keep using that word. I, I do not think it means what you think it means. Like, oh, and, and let me be clear. Like I, I'm not using that word. I am quoting somebody else. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Very good that you started all, that off with a disclaimer of, I don't believe this because we would have continued the yeah. of Nami being like, I don't agree with you today, Tara. <laughs> no, no. Like when I read that i was like uh like do a lot of these characters do bad things yes but also like this is also i mean this is basically like sir the tv show survivor times a million you know like yeah it's like those people do bad things too but they're like real people with real lives like what happens to those people when they like who were those people before survivor they probably weren't great and like then they no. go you know what i mean like this isn't that this isn't yeah, a tv like show it's like also like like that's not what sociopath means. Like this is real life. This isn't just a fantasy. Like <laughs> like like first off, that's not what sociopath means. Right. And like second off, um, like first off, like if why did I go back to first? I don't know. I'm doing my best. Uh, it's not fifty fifth off. <laughs> doing this again, like we are very used to reading fantasy stories when people die and it doesn't matter or like the heroes kill and it doesn't matter. So just being like, oh no, our main character killed a lot of people. She's a sociopath. Like, excuse me, sir. Like, I'm sure you read Lord of the Rings. Is Aragorn a sociopath to you? Like, come at me, boy. It's just because she's a brown woman. Am I assuming <laughs> the gender of this reviewer? Absolutely, yes. It's a cis white man. I Well, I mean, I... I... <sighs> I, I don't even know so much because they, they were saying literally everyone except Inan. So exactly. and that like, hey, buddy, that's sociopath behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, like assuming everyone except Inan, I was like, wait, so he was a fucking pirate. He like this has killed comment, how many? People? This comment has made me tilted. <laughs> I have not been tilted since my Overwatch days. Look what you've done, Goodreads. For me, though. What you've done. Well, was it? To be fair, it wasn't a review. It was like a discussion on Goodreads where I was like looking for like, I was actually just looking for you know discussion questions because mm -hmm. I I you know I like I feel like a lot of times when you can find a really proper like discussion question like blog or something it 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 can lead to some really mm -hmm. good points. Um, which is what I did with with the first book, but with this one it was really difficult. There were I, I kept and I kept like stumbling into like I searched very specifically for Obeliscape. I kept stumbling into like, but this is actually for Stone Sky. And being like, no, oh, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Don't show me them. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I guess like you know, again, like I, I think another point just to kind of really like drive home is everything Nassen went through, um, you know, where like, it's wrong to hurt someone you love. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's always been wrong. And like, then she has that question later where she says, you know, if I hurt him because I love him, is that still hurt? If I hurt him now, so that he, like a lot now, so he'll hurt less later. Like, does that make me a bad person? There, there's just a lot of, um, there's just a lot of like depth to what is going on 
with her in this book and and some of that also comes from what we know of Shafa previously versus what we know now and yeah the 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 Nassan Shafa story really like it really hit me where it like hurts a little bit like not that I had like a dad who didn't love me necessarily but like I remember getting to a point in my teenage years where I was no longer the person that my father like wanted or expected me to be and uh yeah look <laughs> in mood a bit of a happier note regarding the Nassim Shafa relationship I it hit me right in the redemption arc feels you know like yeah. this wasn't as a cut clean perfect redemption arc as you know the outstanding avatar the last airbender zuko but this was a very well done redemption arc in the way that like unintentionally intentionally shafa is you know trying to raise nasun as he didn't raise essen mm -hmm. and you know every time he's reminded of essen or the other origins that he raised he's yeah. like i have to do better by nasun and that was just yeah. like well, cause yeah, cause it's, it is, it's not, he doesn't even really remember Essence yeah. specifically at first, you know, it's, it's really about, I know I did bad and now I have to do better. And it's like very obvious, like as time goes on that he has like hyperfixated on Essence and he does remember her specifically, but like, it's just very like compelling that like, you know, his sort of redemption to Essence, his way of like trying to fix things to Essen without even realizing it is to take care of her daughter when she can't protect her. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, like I said, when I was reading book one, when we were talking about book one, you know, you start to care about Shafa and you root for Shafa in this book. And that was something that I had not thought I would ever do after the first book. And yeah. like going into his head and going into the head of like somebody who knew they've done terrible things in the past and was very actively trying not to repeat those mistakes was also a very different and interesting thing. And it was like, it was very good. You know, he's up there now in my redemption arcs. Let's be fair. The redemption arc list before was Zuko. And now it is Zuko <laughs> and then Shafa. There are two well, I feel like and in real life, like most people, who turn out to be good people have some sort of redemption arc. Like somebody who was mean to their peers in high school might learn better as they get older, right? Spoiler, uh, this is about Dobby. <laughs> well, that that I mean, you know, like just I'll saying, like about everybody, but like for 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 you know, for me specifically, it was being like it, it was like more like relationship you know, stuff like, like, uh, being a more patient person. Like my first, my first long-term relationship taught me to be a more patient person. Um, you know, it, 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 cause I, I'm still not entirely, but I way, way, way more now than I used to be. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, and, and yeah, it, it's, it's, and I think also we have to kind of say that Shafa did have like an abusive life beginning just because he was technically an adult when a lot of these things happened he he was still being controlled by something mm -hmm. other than himself which is more of like a, a you know child or youth like state so when he you know when that when when that when he is separated from that control to an extent 
he learns to because he's also he learns to control himself Bless you. he mm -hmm. learns to control himself because he still has some of those you know needs really to, to to take the energy from from others and everything but he learned like he makes that one mistake with eights family and then he kind of like he learns that he can't do that you know like so, so yeah it, it's it's very uh Oh gosh, yeah. Call it calling like all of these characters are sociopaths is just like mind-boggling to me because like there's like just because they make mistakes doesn't mean they're all assholes, okay? Also, just because they do bad things doesn't mean that they're a sociopath. Like like a sociopath is a very different thing. Again, I you keep using that word. I do not think it means <laughs> And like, you know, we've spent a lot of this like talking mostly about Nasen and I wanted to shift back real quick to Essen because you know me, I mostly don't care about quotes, but every now and then I find the one and I'm like, oof, oof. And this is specifically because, you know, the ending arc for Kastrima is basically, you know, they were living in harmony until somebody came and said, hey, if you kill half your population, the other half gets to live. And they were given like the ultimate ultimatum there. And yeah. obviously people started fighting because mm -hmm. the human instinct is when you can save yourself, why wouldn't you? And, you know, that moment where Essen steps in and she's like, oh, hell no, this isn't happening. I'm too powerful. Listen to me. And just like, also like the ultimate payoff of being like, Renanis was never going to keep them anyway. Like yeah. it was all just manipulation. That was just like very, very good because I was like, it, it was once again a parallel to the real world of like, you know, like the structures in power pit you against other people because they know you are very eagle, eager to other like groups that aren't like you in the hopes that you and your and the people like you will get something and like be able to live better, you know? And it's like, that was very like, that whole struggle just really had me in my like you know feels about like class and race in real life and then there's that moment where nothing gets up and she says and she like basically gives everybody an ultimatum and she's like you can leave but if you stay no part of this calm gets to decide that any other part of this calm is expendable no voting on who gets to be people and that just <laughs> tiny wailing groan just i i literally wrote it down in another book because that quote just like hit me so much in the like like you don't get to decide like that like what human beings are yeah you don't get to decide who lives and who dies like <sighs> like <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, don't, I don't have any other things to add uh nk jameson did it she wrote down the words the words are correct listen to the words no voting on who gets to be people she said yep. it folks that's it I'm, I'm trying to remember where i got that quote from you don't get to decide who lives or who who lives or who dies or who lives and who dies i feel like it might have been from the 100 but it, i'm sure who it came who, dies, who shares your story yeah, I, I feel like it might have come from probably God knows how many other things also. <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, I mean, 
I, I can just being, I think I'm actually, now that I really think, I think I'm about halfway through the last book. So like, it like it was from the 100. Sorry. It was from the 100. Okay. Like, Why did I know that weirdly? Impressive. Weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like, right? You know, I think the thing that got me about that was like, even more than like who lives and who dies. It's not a matter of like choosing that a person gets to live and die. It's a matter of you don't get to tell a person that they're not a person. You know, like yeah. even more than that. N.K. Jamison was like, ah, yes, the 100, this is a good point. Let me make it better. <laughs> and then she did. Yes, she is. She is very good at this. And I, I'll be honest, like, I don't find this series insanely quotable. Uh, that's not a bad thing. That's just a kind of an observation that I've that I've made as I've read along. Um and but the thing is, like, it doesn't need to be quotable to make its own really good points. And and maybe yeah. also some of the reasons why I don't find it super quotable is because, listen, like, I am not, you know, I am not a a, a, a you know a part of like a people who is. Um, oh my god, I'm blanking on the word. I'm a white girl, man. Like I'm a woman. So that makes me, that makes me, you know, like lesser than like, you know, cishet white men, but like, I, I'm not a person of color. So I don't have the experiences that are really portrayed in these books because they are very clearly, you know, reminiscent of like, just, just ugh, like, 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 current society there's a lot of what we've seen in the past several years that is in these books and and yeah it's just but it's you know none of it, it, it she just is so masterful at all of it it's, like you know i think there was something that i was thinking about earlier with these books and you're right they're not very quotable but that doesn't make them any less poignant like you don't need to say your point profoundly and concisely and she doesn't really bother with that she is very yeah. comfortable with taking her entire story and taking her story at the pace it is and you know trusting her readers a little bit but also like giving you the moments of understanding giving you the these experiences in such a way that you can really get it, you know, like there's nothing really quotable, like in Nawson's story where, you know, she is growing up and realizing she has to manipulate her father and also in order to survive, but also that she is retaining her childlike innocence in the way of being black and white. You know, there's like no single quote to do that, to like convey that idea, but her writing doesn't like, it doesn't hesitate away from complex ideals because complex things cannot usually be summarized in one quotable sentence. Yeah. And she's like very not afraid of that. She's very much like, you know what? Screw it. I don't have to be quotable. I'm going to take this entire book to make my point, and you're going to read it, and you're going to get it, and you're going to love it, and you're going to cry. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any, any, any last thoughts? Can't wait for you guys to get the book to finish book three. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so hype. Holy so we'll, shit, be, we'll be back in uh, two weeks, which is Wednesday, July 21st to cover uh, the Stone Sky. That's what it's called, right? Stone Sky. I'm like, now I'm like, yes. shoot, it's Stone something. It's Stone Sky. Uh, I'm 
really bad at this. Um, hopefully Jonathan will be able to join us because like I said, it seems like he enjoyed it. He's been enjoying this book a lot more than he enjoyed the first book. Not that he disliked it, but I think it does take a little bit of getting used to in terms of the storytelling aspect, you know, the, the way she tells her story. Um, so hopefully Jonathan will be able to join us in two weeks. And on that note, once again, I'm Tara along with Nick and Nami. Thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>